Hey, hey, it's Lou here and welcome to Shade Podcast in collaboration with Convergence, the South London Gallery's platform for critical conversations, screenings and written commissions. And this special edition will be shared on Making Sense, which is a new collaborative digital resource that assembles people around ideas for structural change collectively through creative practice. It's aimed at teachers and educators, young people and creative practitioners. And today I'm delighted to be in conversation with Dr. Aminor Hock about inclusive education, what inclusive education means and how we can support our educators in achieving it. In a very simple way, inclusivity, in my mind, I would argue, um, involves listening to, valuing the backgrounds, the identities of our student population making our curriculum, our teaching, our pedagogy responsive to the identities, the needs, the the histories, the cultures, the cultural worlds of our students. Dr. Aminor Hawk is a lecturer in the Educational Studies Department at Goldsmiths College London. His research forms the basis of his book, British Islamic Identity, Third Generation Bangladeshis from East London. The book is an in-depth ethnographic study of young Bangladeshis from East London examining areas of cultural, linguistic, national, religious and gender identities. And Aminor's work focuses on issues of multicultural Britain, identity, social justice, youth policy, religion, race relations and Islamic feminism. And I'm just so delighted to have him talk with us today. Hi, Aminor, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me at the South London Gallery today. Good morning. Good morning. And today we'll be in conversation about inclusive education. Uh, It's a conversation I have uh, so often with um, the audience who listen in to this podcast and also within the wider um, education and, and art community as well. And I want to start by really just laying the ground for our our discussion by thinking about what we really mean by inclusive education and how we can support our community educators in achieving it. Right. Um, Such an important question and one which um, warrants, uh, I guess, a very complex and a multi-layered response. I think, Lou, before I go into the whole philosophy of what we understand mm-hmm. by inclusivity perhaps it's all mm-hmm. it's really important to just go back a bit and talk about what we understand by education right and that vis-a-vis yeah. feeds into the idea of inclusivity so what is education and where does it happen right we we hear this term on a daily basis we read about it we hear it in the on our television screens we send our children to this space called education but what actually is education and where does it happen Is it a relationship where individuals inspire each other? Is there a hierarchical relationship within the educational space? Does one learn and does one teach? Or does learning and teaching happen dialogically and does it happen interchangeably between two or more individuals? Is it a lifelong journey? Do we ever stop educating? Mm. Um, And what is is learning? What do we learn? What's our starting point and what's our end point? Just because we have grades and certificates afterwards, does it actually mean that we've actually learned? And the crucial thing about education is building rapport, understanding, empathy, trust with the people that you are working with. 
and the ability to then become confident and intelligent to ask awkward and difficult and important questions. Mm. And that to me is education, right? Something magic happens in that field, whether that takes place within the four walls of the institution, whether that be the nursery setting, the schools, the universities, etc. Or that can happen within homes. It can happen within friendship circles. It can happen in the digital world. It can happen on the school journey. Often for me, when I drop my own children off to school, that, that, that school journey from my house to the school, that five minute walk, we talk about things, we discuss things, mm. we try and negotiate things, we try and understand things. We look at the world around us and we kind of dissect it and um, internalise it and discuss it. That to me is education. Um, now, based within that premise, Lou, um, the question then emerges is what is the role of the teacher within that space? Mm-hmm. That's such a complex and really important question. Mm. Um, are the teachers there just to teach, i.e. I. pass down knowledge? These people have learnt themselves and they're going to pass down their learning onto other students, younger disciples, whether that be in mathematics, physics, art, drama, literature, etc. Mm. They've become a specialist in that field do they pass it on? Or is the role of the teacher that, as well as a more human person, a person that's human, flexible, who takes an individualised approach, a creative approach, a child-centred approach to learning, a person who who wants to get to understand their students and the world that they come from and prepare their children, their students, to negotiate the complexities of the world that they're going to enter once they leave the parameters of schooling and education. Now, based within that, my own philosophy, my own argument would be the latter, that teachers are, in a sense, superhuman beings, right? They're such valuable members of our society. They're there to guide, advise, inspire, teach our children, the next generation. Mm. And within that, inclusive education becomes paramount. Now, it's not always easy to include everybody right the mere philosophy of inclusivity means that we include everybody and we acknowledge everybody and we treat everybody with equality and equity Um, especially in modern diverse multicultural classrooms where there are children from all parts of the world who speak different languages have different social cultural worlds have different religious ethnic social class gendered backgrounds This is the chaotic as well as the reality of many diverse multicultural classrooms in many parts of the world, especially in urban Mm centres. The teacher-pupil ratio is also problematic. You often get one teacher, and maybe if you're lucky, a teaching assistant, to 30-odd children. Um, That's not always possible to include the voices of all the students. Mm -hmm. But let me me answer your question um, in a very simple way. Inclusivity, in my mind, I would argue, um, involves listening to valuing the backgrounds the identities of our student population making our curriculum our teaching our pedagogy responsive to the identities the needs the the histories the cultures the cultural worlds of our students being reflexive of the immediate wider community that our our schools and our education centers are situated within and essentially is to respect and value the cultural worlds of our students. And as I said, it's not always easy, but it's definitely a very important starting point. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned uh, the teacher's ability to reflect and respond um, to the students, their experiences, their lives, uh, their needs. Um, and you know, I haven't been a teacher in a like in a in a um, a traditional environment, so I can't possibly begin to understand what that looks like as a practical reality in the classroom for the teacher. And I wonder how much ability, freedom uh, that they have or perhaps do not have to be able to exercise that responsiveness and uh, reflection um, regarding the way they teach in the way of maybe supplementing the curriculum. As a practical reality, how can, can teachers do that at the moment within the framework in which they're working? Yeah, abs- absolutely, Lou. So so here I am espousing a very idealised um, uh, Mary Poppins version of what education could and should be. We know that there is a very rigid national curriculum that's ju- that um, that teachers have to subscribe to, that, that schools get measured from offset um, inspections. Um, we know that many schools are under-resourced and overpopulated. We know that our amazingly brilliant teachers are working under intense scrutiny and also pressure and always under the microscope and and this is not this has been the case i guess always but none more so than over the past 15 odd months as we have all lived through this horrible pandemic that's mm. affected and governed all our lives we've we have equally seen the the in, intense and important role that teachers play in our society teachers are also operating lou under the, the politicization of the league table politics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, schools are measured according to grades. Um, so therefore, teachers are becoming less teachers and more administrators. There's an immense amount of um, pressure just to do distance measured um, learning graphs of where the student started from to where he or she ends up. Mm-hmm. Schools have effectively become exam factories. We're just yeah. teaching our children how to pass exams because mm-hmm. that then reflects good on the league tables. Mm. The marketization of education is really worrying and problematic. Um, students viewed as numbers as opposed to humans. And what, where we then we see that lots of students, as well as teachers, are overworked and also very stressed out. Mm. So this is the this is the reality that this, these teachers are working within. And the political context which governs this reality is one where there is a lot of spotlight on teachers to perform. And I say the performative element of education of teachers is become is also a worrying development there's lots of confusion over government policy that's introduced um one notable example is the one of prevent the prevent policy that's been actioned in mainstream education in in the past few years where effectively teachers are being asked to become spies on their pupils mm-hmm. and report them if they hear something which does not sound right mm-hmm. um are teachers equipped for that is that their job um, should they be doing that when we think about a relationship that's built on trust and rapport? Do we report everything to um, our higher authorities? So this is the this is the parameters um, and educators are also working within the wider context of the knowledge economy. Many governments historically have always espoused this policy of knowledge economy, i.e. are schools there simply to prepare children for the world of work? Mm. Is that what schools are there for? Mm. To teach them how to become compliant, obedient to the world of work. You wear a uniform, you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you go to school, you listen to your teachers, you say yes, sir, you say no, miss. Um, you come home, you have something to eat, you prepare for the next day, you go to sleep. 
is that what school is essentially asking and preparing our students to become? Yeah. So this, these are the parameters that our, our teachers are working within. What needs to happen, I think, and I argue, is that much more trust and autonomy needs to be given to our wonderful teachers. Mm. We definitely need to have more brave, courageous and visionary um, senior management within schools um, who initiate and go back to this child-centred, community-led educative model. Mm. We need a more inclusive and a flexible localised curriculum within the framework of a national curriculum. So teachers should be given the autonomy to to make the education and the topics meaningful to their students, but also stay within the wider national um, framework. There are, say, more resources and funding needs to be available for this to happen. Um, and also, and this is an age-old problem, um, Lou, hmm. teachers in our society, in British society in particular, are not given enough respect or, or credence and we're not valued enough in in all honesty. If you look at other parts of the world, especially in the Indian subcontinent and in Africa, teachers are revered as as bastions of wisdom, as guidance, knowledgeable people. In this country, we're too eager and too quick to bash our teachers. We need to be given a bit more authority, a bit more respect and valued more. Mm. And a couple of more, more things that need to happen. Give teachers the time to walk the community. What do I mean by this? Um, allow our teachers to get a sense of space and place, initiate partnerships with the local community organisations, meet local parents, meet community leaders, read local papers, try and learn the basics of local languages that our students use. I'm not saying that we become fluent and multilingual in all languages, Mm. but just say hello, hi, bye, how was your day in their languages is such a brilliant start. Um, Understand the complex social, cultural worlds that our children live in. Remember this, our children do not leave their culture, their identities outside the school gates when they walk into school in the morning. They bring it in with them. So what are these issues? Let's take a walk in their shoes. Let's examine up-to-date government data. Let's attend community events. Let's take our time to get to know our community. Now, teachers shouldn't be expected to do this in their own time. Mm. What I've just suggested is something that should be in incumbent and incorporated within the teacher training scheme senior management should allow their teachers to do what i've just said give them a friday afternoon off and say you know what go out in the community build relationships take a walk go and grab a coffee get to know the world that our students are living in let's see if we can incorporate some of these issues within our localized classroom teaching so that's just one step i mean once again that what I've just espoused there is not idealistic. I think that's practical and doable. Yeah. And I think many well-intentioned teachers have that within them. It does take visionary senior leadership for things like this to be initiated. Mm. Those are really brilliantly simple ways in which, you know, this process uh, could start. And I'm just thinking where teachers are now. You know, some of the teachers or the educators will be... Um, learning especially over the past year or so learning alongside um, their students in terms of this widening conversation around uh, inclusion within the curriculum and I just wonder how as a first step we could start by building confidence in our educators around the value of inclusivity within the curriculum based on where they are now yeah, I mean, look, this isn't this isn't easy to do, especially 
when you are working under so much constraints and so much institutional pressure. And let's not forget, in, in regards to some of the simple things that they can do, um, teachers should definitely approach senior management and say, hey, look, I think our, our students have gone through a rough time, especially in the last um, 15 odd months. Um, we should um, we should do more activities that are more fun, more creative, mm-hmm. that enable us to rebuild that relationship of trust of and build that rapport back with our students. We should do more things that make our children laugh, have fun. It shouldn't all just be about work, work, work and, and results for the time being. We should get them to become more infused and engaged in learning before we actually start teaching them the hard basics of physics and mathematics and, and literature. Um, let's get them motivated again and get them engaged. And one way we can do that is working with the communities and their parents and the parents of the of our children. That's a given. Um, the other thing is, how often do we say to us, our pupils, how are you? Yeah. How often do we say that? And and do we not say that because we just don't have the time or we just are drained? And can we say that to 30 odd children every single day? Right. Can we say that? Um, it's not always easy, but the philosophy of taking more of an active interest in the lives of our children, of our students, is a starting point. The other thing is the wider institutional systemic issues is our resources, the literature, the curriculum, the books that we read, the movies, the documentaries that we watch, the history that we are taught, does not always reflect who we are. And that in itself is a wider, bigger issue, and that needs to be examined. If we are going to get our children, our students, our pupils engaged in education, we need the education to be more reflective of who they are also. Hmm. My children are are British-born, Westernized, amazing Bangladeshi, female, Muslim girls, mm-hmm. right? Often we have conversations and they bring these conversations up themselves where they where they talk about what they read, what they are taught and how it doesn't reflect who they are. Um, now, often, of course, this is governed by, I guess, me because I'm really interested in identity and education. Yeah. So often I ask them questions about, so dad, what did you learn in school today? Tell mm-hmm. me a bit more about the topics that you did. And my children often use the 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 example of um, dad how comes we get two weeks off during christmas but we only get one day off during eid yeah and now that's a really important question right yeah and i'm not saying that we should the whole year should we should have holidays to celebrate every everyone's backgrounds and cultures and religions but when an eight-year-old child asks that question it's really difficult to give them a very insightful eight-year-old answer back right um, how do you how do you reason with an eight-year-old when when she picks up on that? Interestingly, my seven-year-old then puts it straight and says, um, "Yeah, that's because we live in a country that's mainly full of Christian people. Therefore, it's understandable." Right, now, right. wow, what a what a what a mature response yeah, yeah. by a seven-year-old, right? But nonetheless, in these conversations, they're they're negotiating their own identities within the wider world, right? They're trying to understand who they are within the context of where they are living in. Mm. The key thing, Lou, I think, is all teachers. And all educators need to subscribe to the idea that there is no such thing as one single story. There are so many stories. There are so many um, identities Mm. that it's more appropriate to talk about multiple stories. The world is so diverse and so beautiful. We need to incorporate the diversity of the world within our educational curriculum. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, wouldn't it be amazing if um, the traditional learning environment would be safe and supportive and open enough that that um, our children could ask those questions to the teachers within the classroom? Yeah, ed- education should be a safe space, like you just said. Yeah. It should be a safe space where children can talk openly to with their teachers yeah. and their peers, yeah. and they can have complex discussions around the knotty ideas of identity, of ancestry, of roots, of heritage, of who they are, negotiate it with their peers and teachers, because it's so important that we have a sense of pride of who we are, our ancestry and our heritage and our roots, and not discard it. And at the same time, be very, very proud of being British Mm. and say that it's the Britishness that's allowed us to exert our ancestral heritage in this country, right? And, And often we're being asked especially as people who are from black and ethnic minority communities, we're being asked to make a choice. But no, that's the wrong predicament. We need to be inclusive. We need to say that Britishness is a very powerful idea that allows me to be whoever I am and also celebrate my diversity and my heritage and my background. Yeah, yeah. And the most challenging um, thing that I found about, um, you know, having a a child in the school environment um, is perhaps um, the lack of openness of some teachers or some head teachers um, to even um, have these uh, discussions um, or acknowledge um, perhaps... um, some propositions that we might put forward as parents and some some educators will be difficult to reach you know they're a reflection of society I just wonder if there's any way that it 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 is possible to reach those difficult to to reach educators when we're talking about um inclusivity um in practical ways I get so many um messages from the listeners with um Issues they have at school, you know, not particularly huge or, or really serious ones, but nonetheless, they are very important to the parent um, and the children themselves. And they often come to me and say, how would I approach this? How do I deal with this? And I know that parents just find it very difficult to have those conversations with mm. teachers when they are needed. And um, what can we yeah. do to support those conversations between parents and, and the schools? Teachers are all different, right? Yeah. Um, some teachers are very serious um they they very hard to read um they they're brilliant at what they do they they can teach um a certain discipline whether that be mass physics drama art whatever discipline that they're infused about um and they're specialists in they can teach that to their kids and other stu- other teachers are just really friendly very open laugh lots really engaging they've got a great relationship with their 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 students and they can also teach at the same time. Now, I would definitely subscribe to the second um, model. I'm not saying I'm one of those, but when I see teachers like that who teach my children, it 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 puts a smile on my face. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not rocket science um, to try and um, make education more inclusive. Mm. Um, I think we can keep our personalities, but we can do certain things within our profession that gives the idea to our student population as well as our parents and the community that we are a an institution that values who you are. Mm-hmm. So things we can do, for example, um, schools can consider um, developing basic instructional material in the home language of their pupils. Yeah. Right. This then encourages the parents when the student takes it home to become more engaged in the ad- academic journey of their child. Because often language is the biggest barrier, as mm-hmm. well as the cultural difference and the hierarchical institutional difference, i.e., can I go and challenge that teacher? 
right? There's a cultural element there where it stops lots of parents from getting involved, yeah. as, as well as a social class, social capital um, Absolutely. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the language is often a huge barrier. So that's one thing we can do. Teachers should become more accessible and approachable. Um, parents should be encouraged um, in, a, in a proactive and also in a very organisational way to approach the teachers of their um, children and say, hey, I just wanted a, a quick catch up. I wanted to find out how little John or little Abdul or little Fatima is doing in school, mm. right? I don't think there's anything wrong with such a question. And I think teachers should be open to that kind of relationship. A couple of examples that I know where schools have done things where it's really encouraged students to value who they are and teachers have done it and it's really um, resulted in enriched, invaluable, insightful conversation is when teachers ask their students to go and draw their own family trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So So the students were encouraged to be proud of their ancestry and their origins. And one really interesting way that teachers open themselves up to their students and make themselves look human in the process is when teachers tell their own story to their students. This is who I am. This is where I was raised. These were my aspirations when I was a young child like you. This is what I'm doing now. These are my future aspirations. These are, these are the photos of two of my children. By sharing your own story, Lou, you as a teacher then become human. Absolutely. Those students then see you as a teacher who they admire and respect, but they also see you as somebody who's approachable, human and accessible. Right. So these are a couple of things. And as a sports person, it would be foolish of me not to mention this. We know PE is a big part of the curriculum. Yeah. Why do we always just play European sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not play sports from other parts of the world, Africa, Asia, South America? Right. Why not celebrate the fact that sport does not always or just happen in Europe, right? This gives the idea and impression that the world is diverse, global, and that we are celebrating other ways of doing something very similar. And literature is my final point, right? We, I love Chaucer. I love Shakespeare. It's a big part of who I am. Mm-hmm. It's made me think and it's made me read about the world and understand and interpret the world in a really unique, critical way. But why are we just limiting our students to this? Literature is so rich and so diverse. Why not read the poetry from Rumi? Why not look at um, the literature emerging from the Caribbean and the West Indies? Um, Why not look at other parts of the world that have contributed so much to the literary world? Once again, the message that comes across to our students is that the whole world does not focus around the UK and Britain. Actually, it's a global world. We are part of a global society and we value other identities just as much as this one. So these are some of the things that I think teachers can put into practice. But it, once again, it needs brave and courageous leadership to enable the teachers to do things like this. It really does. And it does like uh, require brave parenting as well. You know, it's not easy to make an appointment and walk in and, and um, propose um, ideas um, to a school. But I know like a couple of school librarians, they actually would really welcome a parent to come in. You don't always need to go through to the head teacher. You don't always need uh, to go through to the teacher. You know, literature is a really important way where when they have their library time, there's actually a range of, of books um that really reflects um the students that are in the school it's just like think of like creative ways of 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 approaching um these issues that suits the school um and the people who work at the school right what what you've just said there um, Lou reminds me of a very interesting research um project that colleagues of mine at Goldsmiths University of London 
did 10 odd years back. And it was um, the grandparents project, right? So effectively what this research project looked at was that there is such a rich resource available in our communities, right? Grandparents, um, lots of these people have so much wisdom, so much knowledge and something invaluable, time, yeah. right? Lots of them are retired um, and they've got so much that they can contribute to. What this project found was that the grandparents were, were a major resource of education. Absolutely. So when the grandparents um, taught their grandchildren about gardening skills, language skills, religious re- reading, and also the beauty of oral storytelling, Yeah, yeah. right? Bringing the grandparent into schools to get them to teach children how to garden, how to grow vegetables from around the world, teaching them basic language skills. And also, we we know, especially in primary schools, there is this wonderful thing at the end of the day about storytelling. Mm. Let's get grandparents in and get them to tell you stories of their own childhood, the folk and oral stories that they were told by their grandparents. How amazing would that be? That's nirvana. How amazing would that be? And how rich and resourceful is that? And what a community-led incentive is that that blurs the distinction between the school and the community, right? That's the other problem in modern-day education, that the walls and the fences are too rigid. Absolutely. We need to blur it a bit more and get the community involved. I think that's a brilliant idea. And also sometimes schools don't bring in uh, members of the local community like grandparents, but they will bring in perhaps outside um, um, groups um, or activities that you have to pay for as extracurricular activities. So my daughter's old school had gardening after school, but, you know, it's run by um, a franchise and they come in. Well, that's not accessible to all children because it's those who are able to afford to pay for that extra learning. And, you know, I, I just think, wouldn't it be amazing if there was just half an hour here or there within the timetable put aside to welcome these things in? And, and what you just said makes education exclusive, not inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And we've got so much resources within our doorstep. Ex-students that have gone through the school, right? Schools don't do enough of this. Reach out to them and say, hey, come back to the school, right, that that gave you so much. And now you mentor and give something back to the existing student population. Absolutely. The, The local business people, right, you've done really well. Come and tell a story to our students and tell these students what are the what are the secrets of your success? You are a local person who knows the local community have got lots of things to offer come and tell our students your top three tips for success right if you ask them nicely and politely they will come and do it for free absolutely bring the grandparents in that should be the the conclusion of the mantra of this discussion bring yes 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 yeah well when we say it takes a village to raise a child right and that's definitely been my experience before I took the leap to becoming a a home educator you know I realized that uh, we couldn't do it alone as a a tight family unit we had to bring in um, the community you know so uh, whether that be um, a friend of ours spoke Spanish and so and a friend of mine likes running and um, you know so she took my daughter out for half an hour a week running with her and taught her all the basic kind of skills and I just think that can actually be done within the school environment easily as well you know and also that will just relieve some pressure on the teachers in terms of um, practical skills whether it is gardening or running or just talking about stories or their life experiences just imagine how that would lighten the load on the teacher as well. Lou I love the analogy of the village and I think um, that's a that's a beautiful analogy to think of the school that is part of a village and and that and it should it should be seen we should be working with each other we should be looking out for the strengths that we have within our communities and we should be bringing and utilizing and helping each other out 
Um, but we know we live in this 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 administrative world of um, yeah. child protection, understandably health and safety um, factors, and therefore it can't. Therefore, the fences are have been erected. Right, the schools need to be a place where people get checked before they are allowed entry. Quite understandably, I I understand that, and but we sh- we should nonetheless not be deterred away from working with local members of the community. This this is the key. They have so much experience, so much guidance, so much wisdom, and the key thing is our children that attend the local school will be able to identify with these individuals. And that is where the magic of education happens. I would just like to just finish off with the point of just sharing, um, you know, the positive changes that we have been seeing more recently when it comes to inclusive uh, education. You know, my observation is that the conversations are widening and parents and some educators um, are confronting these issues and are being um, more welcome to um, being involved and 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 understanding and being open to learning more. Um, and I just wonder what changes you have seen perhaps over the last year or 15 months i mean look it's not all doom and gloom there's lots of challenges but within these challenges we've seen many teachers many educators do fantastic stuff Um, and many schools even do fantastic stuff we've seen over the last two odd years i guess because of the enforced pandemic because of the really challenging and difficult situation of home learning we, and also communicating to our students via the screen. We've seen that educators have had to adapt mm. somewhat, right? They've had to reach into their inner souls and find the energy, find the creativity, um, find um, different ways to communicate with their student um, population, to keep them engaged, to keep yeah. them infused, um, and to also to teach um, and learn in the process. I think teachers, as a result of this, have become have definitely um, become more exhausted. I've been lecturing online now f- um, for the la- for, since March last year, so just over a year. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, Lou, um, it's been a challenge. Um, I've not shied away from it, but it's been immensely exhausting, right? Yeah. Just staring into a screen and finding extra energy and resources to reach out to a student. I've not been deterred from it. I've been, In fact, I've been more buoyed and also um, determined to get this done. Um, but But teachers, educators, I think, have become more human. Yeah. I think they've become more adaptable, more flexible. I think they've, they've, in a strange way, they've developed a, a nice rapport and trust and a relationship with their their students as well. Um, for the first time, I think teachers have had an have had an insight into the home cultures and environments of many of their students. Yes, right. If, if it's through the background of the screen or just the just through the fact that many of their their students were missing i.e. they couldn't log on or they had to share their laptop with their brothers and sisters mm. or they realised that mum and dad at home don't speak English that well, therefore yeah. can't engage with their students' homework. I think teachers were always aware of these factors, but they've be, they've actually been given like a window, an insight into these factors. And as a result, I think teachers are becoming a bit more aware, a bit more conscious, a bit more flexible, and definitely they've had an insight into the lives of their students. So that can only be good for our educators, I think. It's made them a bit more understanding of the worlds that many of our students are living through. Um, so th- that's one positive development. Despite the, um, the the challenges that we've lived through, I do see lots of children laughing on the school gates, yeah. right? Having a laugh, having a giggle, um, really eager to see their friends again, really eager to reconnect with their teachers again. So that says to me that, that something's going right it's it's amazing when you see a child laugh 
Um, and I think that's the way it should be. They should be looking forward to going to school, not resenting it, not looking for excuses not to go to school. And I'm seeing nuggets of this happening. So, so these these are the um, um, the, the these are the the positive developments. Michael Rosen, a colleague of ours from from uh, um, from Goldsmiths, um, always talks about in his work and his and his writing about equality, humanity, having fun, being creative, being imaginative, laughing lots. I think. I think this is what education could and should be. Absolutely. That's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much, Aminal. There's some wonderful ideas there for educators as well. So um, your time's been priceless. No, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have this conversation. Thank you. And the debate continues, right? Absolutely. It's always continuing. I've been very interested to see how we're going to all move forward from this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Lou here, just to say thanks so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to discover more about Aminal's work, please check the links in the podcast description notes. And for more information on the South London Gallery's Making Sense project, please visit southlondongallery.org forward slash projects forward slash making sense. Shade Podcast is hosted and produced by Lou Mensah. Mixing and editing is by C.A. Davis and music is by Brian Jackson. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.